Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Tim. I'm Chris. And today on our show, our special guest is Eduardo Pavez. Hey, Ed. Hi, Ed. Hello there. How are you? <laughs> good. Thanks for joining good, us. Good, 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 good. Thanks for the invite. So excited. So for some of our listeners who may not know you, can you give us a background on yourself and how you got into photography and all that? Sure. Background on myself. I am um, a writer. I studied acting, actually. So I'm a, I have a oh, BA wow. in theater acting. Ooh. And I worked as a screenwriter for television for a bunch of years and writing plays. So what I actually do is writing scripts and, and TV shows for like a bunch of years. I, I wrote like 500 scripts or so. And wow, that's cool. Then yeah. I, the thing is, I'm going to make it a little bit long, but just to explain how, how I landed it. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. please. The, uh, in between TV projects, like in Chile, where I, where I used to live, when you work on a TV show, usually they, they hire you for a bunch of months, eight months, 10 months. And then when the project ends, you're left stranded for four months and then you get another I know contract that for feeling. another month. Yeah, so you're like kind of freelancing, but higher, but freelancing yeah. in reality. So what happens was that in between projects, I had to learn how to make a living of myself because it was a, mm. it was a hard situation. So what I did was learn photography in the meantime to start taking pictures as a way of getting some kind of income. So I started taking pictures of weddings or editorials and whatnot. So I got into photography a little bit before getting into television or like right at the time when that happened. And by the time my first unemployment officially came from the television, I was already taking pictures. So photography was like the backup plan that ended up, I don't know, I ended up enjoying a lot. So that's that's how I got partially into photography. So that's what I do. And I have a YouTube channel. That's maybe why you know me. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we love yes, the channel. Yeah. So are you doing any of that stuff currently? Are you still writing on the side and, and, and stuff? I am currently studying a PhD in Colombia. I'm studying a PhD in... Theater and performance, which in reality translates into philosophy of theater and aesthetics. So I'm doing that. It's a long program. It's a seven-year program. So I'm going to be in New oh, York wow. for... Yeah, I'm going to be here for seven years and during this nice hot and cold weather and the extremes. <laughs> and uh, and on the side, I'm still working. Every time the, the classes end and I have vacations, I go and... and Usually I go to Mexico for three months or to Chile because I have a band and I play in a band. So we tour or I go to Mexico and direct a play and, and, and work in a theater that hires me every once in a while, every year or so to go and direct plays. So I still do theater, but I do it. You're like a jack of all trades. Yeah, I'm a survivor. <laughs> You're doing a lot. That's awesome. And it seems like all in the arts, all the fun stuff. That's really great. Yeah, I have this weird idea of surviving by doing things that are hard to make. A living off. Yeah. So I'm gonna make a living out of photography. <laughs> well, that's too hard. I'm gonna make a living out of singing songs. So. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you were a musician. I knew that you were like a big fan of music. I mean, you mm. can tell by your videos and mm -hmm. the stuff that you, you know what I mean? But yeah, that's cool. I didn't realize that you were a musician. I mean, I, I'm, I have friends who are musicians, like jazz musicians. 
and classical sure. musicians. So I, I, I don't wear the label musician around them or anybody because I get mm. really scared because they really know the music. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sing on a band. I play the trumpet poorly. That's what I do. But but I have fun. And, uh, and still very cool. Thing. Yeah, it's yes, fun. <laughs> yes. Well, so, okay, let's, uh, let's back back up to the photography stuff. So when, mm-hmm. when you got into it, was it like a digital thing or were you just straight into film like right away? No, it, it, I started with digital. I started with a Canon EOS uh, Rebel XT, which I think it's nice. a 350D. And I bought it because I had this weird idea of going to... <laughs> I had no idea about photography. I mean, my dad <laughs> used to take pictures. He was a proper... Uh, he had a job on the side. He was an engineer, but he was part of the photography club and there were always negatives at home. Great. Yeah, yeah. Love that. So I, when I was a little kid, I remember like going to the bag and just watching the negatives and like, why are they inverted? So that was part of my childhood. But then I said, oh man, I really would like to connect with that thing that my father used to do. So maybe I could start taking pictures and I purchased this digital camera and I grabbed it. I used it on auto and then I tried a manual. I didn't know how to use it. I didn't read the manual and I just put it on the closet. And yep. <laughs> mm, yeah. And and that that was in the closet for like I'll say a year. And then I met my a, a girlfriend who's my current wife and she said, "Hey, you have this digital uh-huh. camera. Why don't you use it?" It's a it's a good camera. And I was like, "Oh, cuz it's too hard. I don't know." And she showed me her she was studying graphic design at that time and her classmates were taking pictures and the pictures were really good. And she was like, oh, my, my classmates take so good pictures. Like you could, it would be nice if you have a camera, you could take pictures as good as them. And I was like, I'm going to take better pictures than your classmates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so out of trying to prove myself and my new girlfriend that I could do something, I decided to get into photography and I got hooked on it real bad. And it was good yeah. because yeah. after a oh, few yeah. months, the, this, you know, this, piece of time in which a project ends and another begins happened. So it was a good timing for it to be my new hobby. That's how I got into Man, it. What, awesome. what what prompted you to start the YouTube channel? Oh, I was in, I was living in Berlin. This was 2015 or 14, 15, around that period. And, um, and we were thinking about moving to London because we had already spent two years in Germany. And even though I could speak German. I couldn't speak good enough to actually write in German mm-hmm. or direct a play mm-hmm. in German. I could read the newspaper or like watch some TV, but there if we're gonna, you know, let's discuss philosophy in German, that's not gonna happen. So <laughs> <laughs> so the possibilities of finding a job that I would actually enjoy were super trimmed down. And moving to right. to London was like a good opportunity to start anew and like try to come up with a new job and a new life. And we met somebody who had a YouTube channel and she said, you know, the best way of meeting people in London is having a YouTube channel because the YouTube community is oh, huge. And I was I like, oh, that. man, I had, I had no idea either. He said, you know, mm-hmm. people come and go from London all the time. So people know each other through YouTube. So start a YouTube channel and then you can find friends. And that was a that was a nice kick. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And here now that I'm Berlin in a few months, I'm going to move there. So that'll be nice. And it actually worked like the the first friends I met in London, they wrote me on YouTube like, hey, I'm in London. We could meet up. Let's have a beer. And oh, we I love became that. friends. Yeah, that's how it started. That was the whole reason for the channel, to make friends. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I think the first video I saw of yours was the, I know this is a 
you know, film photography podcast, but it was your <laughs> Leica M8 video. Man, but I, I remember seeing that because I, I, I lusted after the M8 back then. And it, I think at that time, that camera was still not, I think like the M9 was probably out by then. So yeah. you're always looking at the cheaper route and, yeah. you know, the one beforehand, especially with the name Leica on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember I remember that. That was like the first video I saw of yours. And I love what you do on YouTube. I'm, I'm such a fan. Like, I'm a sucker for the jazz music that you always yeah. use. You know, like it's you... You have like such good like I, I'm into when I'm doing stuff or like editing the podcast and stuff or photos. It's it's real easy to throw music on like mm-hmm. that in the background mm-hmm. that doesn't kind of like conflict with what you're doing. And then and it just like works perfect with your with your style of shooting and stuff for the videos. So I, I just enjoy the not to use an overplayed word, the aesthetic yeah. of, mm-hmm. of your YouTube channel. It's it's very pleasing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I saw you do a lot of um, really cool projects, which is one of the things I like about yeah. your channel, too. Can you talk about that a little bit? I know you sh- you've done some crazy ones like 30 rolls in 30 days yeah. and stuff like that. Sure. What, I, what what happens is, so the YouTube channel started because I wanted to make friends. And and the thing that I had at most hand was photography because I was taking pictures. I was already developing my stuff. So I was like, this is something that I can grab on and have a YouTube channel about film photography. I didn't know YouTube channels about film photography back then. I was mm-hmm. I wasn't yeah. consuming much YouTube. I was like, I'm gonna make my channel, and if that's fine, and that's then, the best way to go. I think. Yeah, <laughs> to just yeah. I, do your thing and not worry about it. I had no idea who else was out there. I was just doing mm-hmm. this, and then what happened was that um, I I started making these episodes, or the shoot film episodes, in which I grab a, a, a roll and I shoot the whole roll and show all the pictures with the intent of showing that you don't need to make like impress anybody you just gotta have fun mm-hmm. and that's it because i think there's a lot of one-upmanship on the internet so yeah. you do something like oh that's oh, not yeah. the way to do it you should do it like this or mm-hmm. what yeah. like only three yeah. good pictures i take 10 good pictures and i was like you know i don't <laughs> care i'm just gonna shoot whatever it's fine but the thing is after a while that process of going out taking a roll of film and uploading it started become kind of stale and i was in amsterdam and i was doing very legal things in there and <laughs> while I was sitting in a coffee, drinking just coffee, I thought to myself, you know, there's there's this thing in which by shooting an episode and being with a camera, there's a lot of things that I can't do. So I can't sit down and wait for a picture for to happen for like 10 or 12 minutes, which I usually do when I take pictures outside. So why don't I do a project in which I can take all the time that I want, but I have a constraint anyway? So... Uh, this is going to be a long answer, but I'm trying to shorten it as much go, as I no, can. No, go for it. No, no, go. Uh, I, I, I had met Tom. Tom was like the guy who introduced me to the Mamiya C330. And it was his grandfather's camera, and he showed me the camera and whatnot. And I really liked it. I purchased the camera from him. I got it in the mail, and I said, okay, this is going to be the camera that I'm going to do a project with. Because if I can shoot one roll a day, it's just 12 pictures. So it's not that impossible. And yeah. I was working as a copywriter in an agency in London by then. So I hated my job, um, but I was working only three days a week. So I had two days off and I had the lunch time to go out and take pictures. So that's what I did. I took one roll a day for a month um, for several reasons, because I wanted to get better with the camera, because I wanted to get better at shooting 120, because I had a Hasselblad before and I hated it. And because I had a TLR, which I've never used before, and I wanted to get better with that. But also because I wanted to overcome this position of spectacle. I'm not a fan of being like a, 
entertaining of spectacle of like, oh, yeah, watch right. me shooting, guys. So like being a character, I, I'm really not into that. I try to be myself as much as possible on the channel or like now or in my life. So I said, what am I putting this, even if it's as honest as possible, it's still a curated position in which I'm trying to perform for a role of film. So I said, I'm going to take all the time that I need, which in reality is just lunchtime when I was working, yeah. but, <laughs> but all the time that I need is like an hour and a half. So that's what I did with yeah. that project. Uh, and, and I don't know, I finished that project. I was super happy. And, and now when I finished university, I, I had purchased a stack of T-Max 3200 and I hate that film. I think it's a terrible film. I don't like it. Oh, no. and, and since I don't <laughs> like it, I thought maybe I don't like it because I don't know how to use it. Cause right. yeah. there's a lot of people who love things, but there must be a reason why I'm, I don't like this. So I decided to right. shoot this project because of that reason. And I was going to Chile for July. So I had to shoot this on June. And I couldn't do it 30 days because I will be going to Chile the next day and I can't develop 31 rolls in a day and scan them and just... No. <laughs> right. So I will not subject myself to such hell. No. <laughs> uh, so I shot 21 rolls and see what happened. And that was a nice project because I felt like I understood the film much better, like how to shoot it, how it feels... Yeah, and the difference between that one and other, you know, the HP5 Plus or the Tri-X, which are like the classic black and white films that I, I used to use and I still use. So these projects have to do, to, to wind up the answer, they have to do with learning the tools that I'm using because I'm super ignorant because there are so many tools. It's true. The, yeah. the only way to get to know the tools is by doing like a steady project and not just right. shoot three rolls and make like a review, like, oh, this is how this role works. I have no idea. I... In my perspective, I have to use like 20 or 30 rolls to get the hang of it. And now I can talk with some property. So that's what I try to do on my channel and with these kind of projects. I like that. And also for me, you know, sometimes we don't know what to shoot or or, or stuff like that. And I, I think like the challenges, which we've talked about before on the show, but really like if you set like a little goal for yourself, like something yeah. like that, like shoot a roll a week. And and like here are the results. It really not forces you, but makes you like, OK, this is the project I'm, I set my mind to. I'm going to go do it. And then, yeah, just like and I really liked in one of the videos where you, you were saying like you got bored. I think the, it was like the yeah. one, one, one roll a week. And I was like, OK, so I love that the transparency of like you just got to push through because sometimes, you know, we do get bored or yeah. like to the point where like, do I even really like this? I don't even know if I like this anymore. But to to hear you say like, yeah, you just got to get to the end of it. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, like there's this, it usually happens that people ask me like, hey, I'm starting this project and I'm no longer motivated. What can I do? And I was like, dude, motivation is completely irrelevant. It's a good starting point and what motivates you to begin a project, but let it go. Motivation is overrated. And it seems to be like everybody wants to be motivated to do things. Like, I'm not motivated that. to it's study. It's so good, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not motivated to go to work. I have to go and grind yeah, exactly. that thing for eight hours. Mm-hmm. Just do it. I don't know. What a, what a different outlook, though. I like yeah, that. Yeah, because we get in our heads way too much, I think. And like to, to hear somebody say like, yeah, sometimes you're just in your head and you got to get past it. That was really cool. Yeah, also because I think, I mean, there are several other aspects of this problem, but one of them is that since it's an artistic thing, like taking pictures is part of the realm of the arts, we tend Mm -hmm. to think that because it's artistic, you must have fun and express yourself and, you know, Mm -hmm. develop your vision. And yeah, that's true, but that's just the enjoyable part of it or like the part Mm -hmm. that you wish happens. But at the same time, there are so many other things 
You have to prepare a portfolio. You have to get good with the tools. You have to network. You have to connect with people. You have to spend a lot of time researching. And all that is invisible. And it's always the same with every art. But like what you see at the end is just a nice view, like nice part. And everybody wants to be good at the nice part. But being good at the nice part is like step one. The boring thing is all the rest. And that's what support this nice part. So with these projects, I try to come up with that on on the channel, like all these boring things and the hateful moments and the moments in which I think, why am I doing this? I hate every second of it. That's mm-hmm. as important as this other thing. Love that. Yeah, because it is it is work. You know, yeah. it, is it, work. Is, it is work to I mean, it's it's work to just keep the grip on your passion, too. You know what I mean? Like so, motivation, all that stuff that we just been talking about. And it, the Internet really makes it hard for especially newcomers that haven't been, you know, say you're like a new kid. You just started getting into shooting photos and, you know, you're you're developing your eye and your style. But there's so many people putting the same message out there that it's yeah. like it's almost like a consumerism, whatever isms like, yeah. like this is what you need. This is what and like just you even saying like maybe I hate T-Max 3200 because I don't know T-Max 3200. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like you took the time to, to, to learn it, to put it through the course and to. That's why I love film so much, too, because digital just makes it so easy. You know, like you're, the, the soccer moms are professional photographers the the the, you know like and i hate knocking that too because you know capturing family moments is very important it's super important yeah at the same time pedaling on that it's what i like about film photography has to do kind of in the same vein because it's you can you can become a soccer mom for film photography or you can become like an elitist of film like oh i only use you know natura and i export yeah. it because oh, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's out you know it can be found in japan but i have a supplier and i'm and i'm only using the best like lenses like nobody cares the reality is that nobody, nobody cares, cares yeah. at all and as yeah. soon as you realize that nobody cares there's a weight like lifting of your of your back oh yeah and yeah. i think the one of the reasons that i that i wanted to get out of uh, digital photography is that that mindset is the mindset of the, the digital community in general like you gotta have the best lenses there's a new sigma art there's a mm-hmm. new blah 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 the new canon the new l the new nikon and there's always new stuff coming over while in film photography at least what drove me into it was that there's nothing new it's all done the yeah. lenses are 50 years old nobody cares what you have shoot and get better with your craft <laughs> yeah. that's it can you get better with the craft can you get can you take like 30 keepers in a 36 like strip of film if that's so very good. Nobody cares either yeah. way, but you can be proud of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the old elitist digital scene. <laughs> mm. I mean, I get it, too, because, you know, I often think, you know, Matt, not to bring Matt Day up like we do every show, but um, Hi, he, Matt. <laughs> he uh, just picked up some sort of, you know, little Fuji point and shoot camera or something like that like the fuji x100 something and like i would you know i would love to have like a little digital to catch the stupid things like when the cat's acting yeah. funny and, yeah those you know. are great cameras too mm-hmm. but you know i i waste the film and i shoot it on a point and shoot anyway so it, you know it doesn't it doesn't matter sometimes i and and like i get it like chris with your set photography and stuff like that and just stuff that you need like a, a quick turnaround yeah or you have picky clients that want to see the image in 10 minutes after it's shot and stuff like that i i understand and like digital is amazing for that and for learning like we wouldn't be 
like I know Ed and I, like I started in digital, like mm-hmm. I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wouldn't been for like a Nikon digital camera. So like I can't really hate it that much, but the whole elitism, and I feel like since film photography is getting popular, more popular than it has been in the last couple of years, like some of that is bleeding into our community a little bit, just with the you know, the like of people like, oh, you don't have the new yeah. and whatever with the this and the that. And it's, you know, it's a it's a pissing contest on that end of things, too. And I, I really don't care. You know, for three years, I used a Canon FTB and it was my favorite camera for yeah. the longest time. And like, you know why? Because I knew that thing inside and out. Yeah. I didn't I didn't need to take I didn't need to have a battery in it for the meter. I just felt it. You know what I mean? Like that's what happens when you have an instrument or a camera or something like that that you've used for, you know, quote unquote, 10,000 hours or. Uh, Actually, uh, that reminded me when I was when I was in Chile back in 2011 and 2013, I was taking pictures of riots. There was a student uprising there. Oh, wow. And I started taking pictures with a digital camera. Like the first, first times I went there, I, I grabbed, I had a 5D Mark II. I was shooting weddings. I was like, I'm going to bring my Mark II to the riots. And it was such <laughs> a bad idea because there was like tear gas and cops and I got oh, beaten. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah. It was a bad idea. So then I, I found, uh, I was shooting with a Minolta X700 and I found a Canon A1 for like, I don't know, $70 used. Love that camera. And I grabbed it, went to the riots, and I used that camera for two years straight. Every single day going to the riots using the camera. I got bitten. I got water on top of me. It was like that camera endured hell with me. And it was amazing. I knew that camera inside and out. And at one point, I I wanted to switch and use a... um, I wanted to bring the Hasselblad to one of the riots that was going to be like more control. And I was... I, I wasn't, I was unable to, uh, light measure just by eye at that point. Uh, and I was talking with a fellow photographer. He has, he had studied photography and I said, Oh, I want to bring my camera, but it doesn't have a light meter. So I don't want to bring a light meter. And he said, why would you need a light meter? Like you got to learn how to use your eyes. That's <laughs> oh, what yeah, they are yeah, for. Yeah. And that uh-huh. was such an eye opener to me. I said, Oh, is that how things work? People just yeah. measure with their eyes. And that <laughs> became like a new obsession of mine. So I started. Oh, yeah. I started taking pictures from the subway, for example, because I thought the best way of, uh, I'm going to nerd out for a second, but I, I thought. Let's do it. <laughs> the best way to know how to light meter or like to measure with your eyes was to get a custom first to one ISO all the time. So I started yeah. getting, oh, yeah. I decided to get yeah. used to 3200. I'm going to get used to that ISO and shoot just only on the subway. And at mm. one point I was able to measure light at very dark conditions. And then it was just like getting accustomed to getting more light and a little bit more light and a little bit more light until 103,200 were basically, it wasn't so hard to make the calculations, but that took me two years to get the whole spectrum. Yeah. And it was like every day because I was teaching photography at a university. I was taking the subway every day. So on that time, I was just, <laughs> I'm going to take pictures of people on the subway until I can measure with my eyes. And <laughs> when I was able to do it, I was so proud of myself. And it's something yeah. that... As I said, it doesn't matter, but it matters so much to you. It's like your own hero's journey on the process of discovering oh, your photography. Yeah, I, I don't know how it was it. for you. How was it for you when you were starting to learn these kind of things? Was it like exciting too? Like, oh my God, I have a superpower? Yeah, I was just going to say, I remember in, in photography school a long time ago, you know, a lot of us like couldn't get the hang of like like shutter speed and aperture. And then like once that moment clicked for a lot of us, it was like, oh, man, like we felt unstoppable. Now we can like really do this in manual mode. And, and you know, once once you yeah, it's important to like learn the basics and and 
really understand what you're doing because then it's like the sky's the limit at that point, I feel mm. like. Yeah, yeah. If you take the time to, to figure it all out, I've said it multiple times on this show, like when it all clicked, mm-hmm. I used to just shoot, you know, portraits in a in my bedroom of friends, coworkers and stuff. And when it all started to make sense that, you know, like if you open your open your lens up, your F-stop, you know, you're going to have a shallower depth of field. Mm-hmm. And like, it's oh, just, that it, moment like, is beautiful. When you bring yeah. it down, you get a it sharper is. image, but you don't let in enough light. So you got to increase your ISO. And like, it's 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 amazing when that happened yeah and same with like you said you know i shot 1600 i pushed my film to 1600 all the time and shot that way for probably three years straight Mm. with a meter measured you know always relied on the meter and the camera and then all of a sudden you know you just get to the point where you're you know you're sitting in the passenger seat of a car and you're looking out the window and you're like, oh, man, that's that's like F11, at, you know, and it. Yeah. And then you just take your camera and you look and yeah. you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> yeah, I, I nailed it, that. I nailed like, it. that yeah. is so awesome. Like, oh, it's a beautiful. So yeah, I, yeah, it is. It is. And it's something that sticks with you. You know, it's like riding a bike. Like once you get to that point, you're just like, oh, yeah, I don't need. I, I just went to the county fair the other day and my I have that Fuji 6.9 camera, the GW690 Mark II, whatever the heck it is. And it doesn't have a meter on it. And I didn't even care. You know, I have a little pocket iPhone yeah. meter that if in desperation I need to use it. Yeah. But it's what I use a lot too. Yeah, me I need I mean, and there's such a leeway, I feel like, with film. I mean, you don't want to underexpose. Like as right. long as you're not like underexposing, you're you're gonna be fine. Yeah. You know. If you're like one stop off, it really doesn't even look that much different. I, I we I guess we worry about the technical aspects so much, but yeah, man, I, I love that. I love that you put it as a superhero because that's so true. Yeah. Like you just want to like run down the street with your arms up. Like, like I did like, it. W- like a Rocky movie. <laughs> that's F8. That's F55. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Feels so good. Man. But yeah, like, and I feel like when you do, like, I feel like film made that possible too for me as well, because, you know, we, we you don't even have to do anything with a, with a digital camera, not to bring it back to that but you know those settings even in the display it's telling you what to do on manual you know what i mean it's Mm. not really manual because it's like you know you probably should shoot this at like f8 and Mm -hmm. you know like it's kind of telling you what to do so i mean for people that are just kind of starting out i suggest getting like you know yeah get like a pentax k1000 i don't even know if those have meters get something without a meter on it and or get a meter whatever (laughs) do what you want (laughs) don't let me tell you what to do grab the tool that makes you happy also that's an important thing if you like at the beginning yesterday i was thinking about this i thought that i first purchased the the canon 350d because it had a parasol on the lens and it looked nice that was yeah. that was the reason why I got the camera. It was between that and the Nikon D70, and I was like, "Oh, the Canon has a parasol. That must look professional." <laughs> and it was—it's such a shallow reason, but yep. at the same time, it was so important because I wanted to use the camera because it looked nice. So yeah. it's like my wife wanted to learn how to play bass, and 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 we went to a store. She had never played bass before, and she grabbed a bunch of bass, and I was like, "Grab the one that you think it's nice." And you would like to rehearse with it. Otherwise, just the one that if you find, if you grab one and I say that's the best one and you don't like it, you're not going to rehearse. It's you true. need something that will drive you to use the tool. Otherwise, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, but I don't like it. So why would I use it? Man, yeah, that's, that's true. so true. Yeah. I never think of that. I never thought of that. So, Ed, do you have any new projects 
lined up for the YouTube channel? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> is it? Is it? Are they secret, or can you divulge a little bit? No, it's it's weird because the YouTube channel now exists in this space in between my PhD. So it's it's like it's like my hobby, but it it it, it uses more time than a regular hobby. It's weird. Not, not right now, yeah, as soon as yeah. we finish recordings, I have to go and meet a friend in Manhattan because we're gonna shoot an episode. Or not really, but I have to shoot an episode, so I'll probably bring a camera just to shoot myself shooting an episode. <laughs> so, like, the- also good for you to like be doing it in between going to school because that's like a lot of work in itself. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lot of work. It ha- also, oh, that's like a sub. Yeah, side show. Sorry, but, <laughs> but no, but it's important because it, it's been it's been taking a toll on me anyway. Because like maintaining sure. a YouTube yeah. channel and I have a Patreon in which I have to upload extra content. And just right. and on top of that, writing papers for university. And on top of that, I have the band in which I have to write the lyrics for. And the theater. So there, there's a lot of stuff on my back. And sometimes I feel like I'm not able to pull it off properly. So what I'm doing now is I'm working on projects that I already completed. And I'm trying to um, reshape them or give them another taste. So right now I'm working on a scene. The pictures of the riots that I took in Chile in 2011 oh, yeah. and 13. I'm making a scene with those pictures. So I'll probably make a video about how that came about. I'm trying to incorporate other things that I do on my YouTube channel. So I'm writing a play for a Mexico theater right now. And I would love to talk about the process of writing a play. So things that are not completely photography related. I would love to talk about books. I read all day. So oh, I love yeah, to me say, too. you know, yeah. these are the books that I really enjoy, or these are the philosophers yeah. that I enjoy reading. So I would love to bring that to the channel. Like those kind of things are like, it's like a next step towards myself on the channel, like bringing more of the stuff that I like into a space that doesn't have to be completely photography related. It can be stuff that mm-hmm. I enjoy. And it probably, I don't know, I think nobody has one hobby. Nobody likes one right. thing. So just just sharing yeah. more stuff of your world can be interesting to other people. At least that's my hope now. I hope it works. I don't know. No, I I think that'll that'll cross over for too. sure. Because I I I mean I've I've heard you talk about you know your screenwriting and all that stuff. And I I mean I didn't know much about it because you know you don't really talk that much about yeah. it. But you have mentioned it, and you know I follow your wife on YouTube as well. Like I love her. She's an amazing illustrator and. Mm. You know, it's it's cool to see you guys as like as that, too. You yeah. know, like what a what a cool thing you guys have in common that you both, you know, have YouTube is 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 something that's really cool. But I did want to bring up since we're on the subject of it, mm-hmm. of like the fatigue, because a lot of people are picking up YouTube now. Like now yeah. YouTube's like really it's become like a, a, a viable job for people. Yeah. And plus a, a cool hobby to, I know when I was steadily making YouTube videos back in the day, like I was learning so much more so much rapidly because I wanted to do a camera review or something. So you learn something new, figuring mm-hmm. out a new camera and yeah. stuff like that. But do you ever feel, do you ever feel like it takes away from the actual act of your photography? Like, do you feel like you're just shooting for YouTube a lot of the time or do you do a lot of shooting it's not being recorded, you know, like... At one point, the idea of, of making these projects had to do with exactly that point. It had to do with, as I was saying, the act of performing for the camera, of being recorded. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and one of the one of the borders of that figure is the act of shooting solely for the channel. So right. it, it happens that 
like when I was in Hastings, I was shooting an episode every week and I was shooting like one role every week and going out. And Hastings is a city of 100,000 people. But in reality, like the city center is like, I don't know, 300 people or 500 people live there. So you see the same people over and over again. And I felt like I'm repeating the same stuff all the time and I'm just shooting for a channel. Why am I doing this? What's, What's the goal of trying a thousand cameras for a spectacle of trying cameras. Like there's this, <laughs> yeah. and sometimes I get on my channel, like people, cause I, I still read all the comments that get on my channel because I have it on my phone. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to just for the fun of it. And because I, I upload the videos with the hopes of solving people's questions, cause I started learning yeah. on Flickr and on Flickr, when you oh, have a Flickr, question, yeah. somebody had a, like an answer. And it was usually like a really short answer that helped you a lot. And my hope is to give back some of that. Like if somebody asks me something on my YouTube channel that I can answer properly, I'm like, okay, sure. And I answer. So I check the comments constantly. And one of the comments was like, for example, I uploaded a video in which the camera failed on me or the development failed on me. And I was like, oh, why are you trying this camera? You should stick to one camera and learn how to use it. Mm. And I was like, yeah, but it's like, it's a spectacle in the end. Like I'm, I have a YouTube yeah. channel. Yeah. I can shoot one camera every week. Like you won't yeah. watch it. I'm not into that. What's the right, point of right. it? So to answer th- that question, yes, I feel like part of being on the, on the logic of YouTube takes a toll on, I, not your creativity, but, but on the freedom that you have for choosing your tools and you have to perform for, or at yeah. least come up with interesting things to say or do in front of a camera, which at one point you just don't feel like it. Right. So right now, with, with all the things that I have on a PhD, I, ha- I, I cut my production to one video every other week. So that allows me to try the camera, have some time for myself and shoot on the side, which is something that at one point I was not doing. So I, right. I usually have a camera in my pocket and I go out on the street and if I see something, I take a picture. If I go to a party, I take pictures. And it's like a companion. Because otherwise, if you're just shooting for the channel, you're going to have a bunch of pictures that really don't mean nothing to you. And in 20 mm-hmm. years, you're going to be like, oh, right. I have a stack of negatives of random people. Why do I have this with yeah. me? Man, I, I really found that. I uh, See, I love the whole process of doing YouTube and, you know, sharing sharing what I know. And it was so much fun, but only I only had enough time. You know, I, I work a full-time job. Mm. You know, I work a full-time job. And photography was like my passion project, you know, another thing to photography was me going to the gym or <laughs> you know, reading a book or yeah. it, it was just like my my hobby that I that I needed to have to release. And when I was I was starting to get these comments on my channel that it was just like, you know, you need to go somewhere else and shoot or, you know, you can tell you're just shooting nothing like mm. to shoot. And yeah. And it was like really hard on me because I was using my time that I really loved doing, like shooting pictures and having a specific reason of going out. It just kind of got exhausting, mm. like performing for YouTube, you know, and like turning something that I that I really loved and enjoyed into like I was kind of getting resentful against it. And I didn't want to do that. Not to cut cut you off, Timothy, but you brought up like the troll thing. And yeah, I think yeah. like... Mm. You just can't let the trolls dictate what you want to do or, you know, at all. Like I've learned to just tone it, like tune it out because because your channel was really great and you can't let people affect it that way. You know what I mean? I know it's easier said than done, but I don't think it was like 100 percent the troll aspect of it. 
But it's really hard to just have a film photography channel. Like, mm. there is only so much film photography. Like, hearing you, Ed, say that you want to, like, branch out and show more of, like, things that you're into... Like I'm excited for that. Yeah, me too. Especially the nice. books. I'm a huge I'm a huge uh bookworm, so I would definitely tune into that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> There's just more to it than that. And I feel like our channels like yeah, there can be like niche channels and like you know, there's candy making channels, there's makeup channels, there's this and there's that. And it sucks that we like kind of categorize ourselves into something like that, because, you know, there are things that are cool that I would like to talk about. But do it. You, know, you, you should. You should do it. Yeah. You know, it's just going to be like, what? Oh, it goes back to the trolls yeah, again, I guess. I'm, I'm letting them win. See, but it, that doesn't really bother me. I've only ever had like two comments really like knock the air out of me. And it's just because you know, when you're doing a review on a camera and it's like, there's no bulb mode and you have like 27 people and they're like, no, there is a bulb mode. You got to take the lens off. You got to flip the switch. You got to rewind <laughs> yeah, it yeah. three steps back. You got to call your grandma, make sure she's doing okay. Get it, you know, and, and then it'll work in bulb mode. Like you're such an idiot for not knowing that. Like, how dare you? And it's yeah. like, well, what, how would I have known that? Mm. Like, there's no manuals for half these things anymore. Right. Like, there's no, you know, like, come on, people. Yeah. But well, I, I don't know how one, I got off on that tangent. I, for but. one, Timothy, <laughs> would love love to see you do more, whether you take it, do something like Ed and talk about something else yeah. you're passionate about or something, just because you should. I just like doing it. I yeah, love exactly. video. I love, like, the editing. I love sitting down and, like, creating something out of mm. a bunch of video clips that you make. You know what I mean? It's a lot of fun. There's a story there, and that's... That's a really cool thing to do. What yeah. I've been doing to uh, kind of, you know, maybe not so much YouTube, but to, you know, shoot for a reason or shoot for yourself to say, like, I have been, I brought my my blog back. So, like, mm. now I'm like, you know, every time I have a shoot, I'm going to, like, post the photos and write up a little thing about it. Like, I just went to Israel and, nice. you know, I can, I can talk about that stuff on YouTube as well, but I think, like... I don't know, like you brought up Flickr, Ed, and I just loved back in the day, like having a shoe and like picking the one amazing one from that shoe and like uploading it to Flickr and like in Flickr, there wasn't really that many trolls. I don't remember really having any trolls on Flickr. It was all love. No. It was all like great shot, yeah. like everybody, fav you know, people would favorite it and stuff like that. Yeah. And you will make like galleries with your favorites from other yeah, people. Exactly. And you would, like, was yes. I love I was actually just thinking about Flickr last night when I was when I was uh just walking the dogs, I was like, man, I miss 2008 <laughs> and the <laughs> days. The thing that I, that, that, well, oh, I have so much to say about what we we're talking about, but I yes, tried to. Go go yeah, we it. kind of went all over the yeah, place yeah. there. For yeah, a minute, but I love sorry. it. I love it. The thing with Flickr and difference with, uh, and, and one of the main difference with Instagram is that everybody can use Instagram. And Flickr was like a niche nerd mm -hmm. gig yeah. photography mm -hmm. thing or an illustrator's thing. Because I, I right. started Flickr because my wife was on Flickr. She was like, oh, we're sharing illustrations on Flickr. It was that or DeviantArt. But right. then what DeviantArt was like starting yeah. to crumble, Flickr I remember became DeviantArt. Like the other thing. Yeah. And then. On, on Instagram now, everybody can upload anything. So then the amount of people there is much bigger. There's a, there's a much faster, like, um, interaction with everybody. But at the same time, you're competing with this massive amount of work that becomes kind of, um, I stumble upon archetypes of images. That is something that on Flickr was much less because of the amount of people. But now that everybody's posting their stuff on Instagram, there's like 10 images that you see all the time. 
And then yeah. that, that yeah. phenomenon has been really interesting for me from an image perspective because it talks about the feeling of what we have as a society of what is aesthetically pleasing, yeah. what gives you the likes, what you mm. should do, how you prove you're good at this. Oh, you have to take this picture of, you know, the girl grabbing the hand and walking back. Yeah. You, know? like, <laughs> yeah. you have to take the picture of the rock and the couple really tiny, like yeah. the group of the bride and on the rock. And it's like, you have to go to Iceland and take the picture of the plane. Like these are things you have to do. I think that part of that edge of proving others what to do has to do with the trolls on the internet. And this might be like a free jazz, but I have the feeling that when people troll or say like, oh, you're stupid because you don't know this, it's because they're expecting that you want to, sometimes people feel menaced. Like, oh, this guy is trying to one-up me. He thinks he knows better than me. I'm going to show him. Yeah. Right. And this is, this is something personal, but my whole life I've been trying not to present myself as a menace. So I just, I just say like, I don't know about this. I'm learning. I might mess it up. This I is what that. I know. Blah. And sometimes people say, oh, yeah. you forgot this thing or that thing. So it usually comes from a place of adding to the conversation. Helping, yeah. helping. Yeah, Like yeah, on yeah. that vein of trying to help out. But usually when I see, especially in YouTube, there's like this, this trend of becoming a character who was like trying to show you how things are done. It's like today we're going to like smash this shit, you know, blam. And like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like yep. well, nobody's yep. like that 24-7. You don't go to bed like, I'm going to smash mm. my bed and sleep. Yeah, like yeah. nobody cares. I think that no. that taking that edge off of us as creators or as photographers or as people is so relieving. Like, I don't really care. I'm not trying to prove you that I'm better because I'm not better than you. I don't even know you. You might you might be miles right. better than me. This is all I have, and I hope that's enough. If you like it, that's cool. If not, there's tons of other people who are better than me. Go for it. I think at least that's my attitude on this to survive on this YouTube thing. Otherwise, it gets too tiring and too violent. Right. It does. Like making making yourself a character is exhausting, and I feel like I was a character during my thing too, and. Yeah. I mean that 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 goes across to so many things though. Like life as in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. That's just like such a deeper everything, you know, like just being like I I love hearing you say that though that you're just like you're just trying to be like authentic and not a negative, you know, like that makes life so much easier. Like I know when I'm at work, say I'm at work and I'm having like a crappy day. I have a terrible customer and I just let that ruin me yep. for the night. Yeah. Like what a horrible day that is. Yep. You know, Gotta let it last go. night, last night I had people giving me awful <sighs> tips, you know, just being rude. And I was la I was like, dude, these people are so rude. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, yeah. like it is. It's that bad. It's funny. Like, I hope I am never like them. Like, and, you know, it's just such a good outlook. Like, and I, I really because it is a competition. I mean, even when you're not even competing, yeah. you know, Instagram is a competition. I open that up all the time and I'm just like, wow, look at that photo. Why couldn't I have gone to Iceland and <laughs> shot that airplane in the middle yeah. of nowhere? You know, like <laughs> I think for 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 me, like because we all we all do this. We all like get into that Instagram trap or, you know, mm -hmm. people's work. You just kind of have to know yourself and know like what you're capable mm. of and like. Sometimes you like this is going to sound really horrible, but some I've muted I've muted people's Instagram feed. Oh, I've done it, too. Yeah. Yep. Just because I'm like, 
this is not mentally good for me to always compare myself mm-hmm. to this person, mm-hmm. wish them the best of luck, but I need to take a break for a minute. So it's like things like that where you can make that conscious choice. Timothy, like you were saying, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to laugh at this because it this is not me. I am not the bad person. They are the ones who leave crappy tips. That's a horrible trait that they have. You yeah, know, yeah, I've been yeah. doing that a lot lately too. just be just, you know, saying like the, this is what I'm about. It has nothing to do with anybody else. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think that does translate with with like the trolls or with like, you know, keeping ourselves motivated or like staying inspired. It's all like it's a mind trick. You know, you have to kind of really say, like, I'm going to take a break from this for right now or I'm going to make that mental switch to kind of say, like, that's not going to affect me. I'm going to keep doing my thing. Yeah. Also, there's like an empathy thing going on, isn't it? Like whenever somebody's like too rude to you, to me, to anybody, you're like, well, I don't know what that person is going through. Maybe his day was horrible. Maybe his childhood was horrible. Mm-hmm. Maybe true, it's true, like true. whatever it is, there there must Maybe be a reason. Maybe he can't afford an extra money, extra tip. Yeah, yeah, nobody's nobody's a bad person just because they want to be a bad person. But the last night we were talking about this with Fran because sometimes you face situations in which like there's no nice outcome. Like something horrible happened in the past mm-hmm. and it affected you terribly and it scarred you. And nowadays you have to deal with that, but you also understand where that hurt came from for the other person, why that person was there. Yeah. And those two things coexist at the same time. Those two things are true. And the only way to deal with that, at least now, is like having some kind of empathy. And I think that by comparing us all the time with other people, we're like drifting away from that, like, em- like empathy and trying to be better than the other one or like be more amazing or I have to like, the sense of competition is the thing that drives everything mm-hmm. down. Like to right. think that the base of society is the individual. Like this is me speaking from from my philosophical perspective. But I think that if 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 we understand the society as a collection of individuals, things are really dangerous. I think it's much better to understand like yeah. a, as a big subject. We're all part of this, and we're trying to help out each other. And sometimes you have right. to do good things without re- like. Trying to help random people is going to help you in the end, too. You're just drifting good vibes around, as as hippie as that sounds. But so important. It also comes back when somebody's too negative to you. You're like, well, well who knows? Maybe this person is really frustrated. Right. That's fine. I don't care. What can I do? Like, I just have to be the best that I can for now. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I think it all comes down to perception, too. How we take what someone gives because like you i'm sure you guys have gotten a text message from somebody that you talk to all the time and you're like "Ooh, i can tell they're not in a good mood mm-hmm. and it's like through a couple words mm-hmm. you know like like you can't feel emotion through texts and stuff like that and it's like you don't know if somebody like you said is like you know they lost their grandmother or something right. four hours before you had your incident with them and that's what happened you know that's huge like empathy i i'm glad you said that because that that kind of opened up a little bucket of worms for me as well <laughs> like to to think because i i mean i'm in the service industry man it is it is crazy my full-time job is like many many hours a week is just dealing mm. with people all the time and it's uh I, I feel like everyone should do something like that at one point, like some sort of customer service work at work at Walmart or a grocery store mm. or a restaurant or something where you have to deal with people because it is you learn such a huge lesson from that yeah. and humility and mm-hmm. patience and just like crazy stuff like that. And it's also character building. Like I can take all these awesome stories and, and life 
events from working at this damn restaurant for the last like six years <laughs> and turn it into something pretty epic later in life, you know, take that fuel for something there else. You go. But yeah. We'll be right back with a listener question for Ed right after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk also comes from Polaroid Originals. Go to PolaroidOriginals.com and use the offer code ANALOGTALK10 at checkout to receive 10% off your next purchase. All right, guys, this is the part of the show where we break off and take a question from one of our listeners. This week's question comes from Point and Salvage. Great username. His name is Kevin Depot. He says, please tell me about your pack-on scanning process and workflow for processing the volume of film that comes along with street photography. Huge fan. Thanks. Pack-on scanner. Um... Yeah. So, well, for this project of the 21 rolls in three weeks, I I develop everything in a big tank. It's a Patterson tank, an eight reel tank. So I, I was developing eight reels at a time, usually doing wow. two developments. So that was 16 developments each time. Jeez. And I hang them on my standing desk and I put cameras on top of it. So I <laughs> I have the, it's, it's, it's really not the way you should do it, but that's how I do it. Um, and then scanning on the packing is really easy because I have it hooked up to an old uh, laptop with Windows XP that a friend of mine gave me who was no longer mm. using it. I'm not tech savvy enough to have it connected to a MacBook and have parallel desktop and all <laughs> that. That's not sure. my go. Yeah. So I just, I put the film through there. It takes like, I'll say three minutes, two minutes per roll. It scans the whole row wow. and I just export it as TIFF. And then I put it on Lightroom, see if everything's good. And I have to tweak, I don't know, some contrast or whatever. I do that. I'm not a purist. So I don't mind if I have to adjust a little bit the frames or right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. the contrast or whatever. That's fine. And export it as, as JPEGs and that's it. I, I I don't do much. But I think that for street, pho- I mean, street photography or any kind of photography, if you shoot a lot, something like a fast scanner is the only way to go. Otherwise, I, at the beginning, I was using my Epson V600, I think. And it was using so much of my time just to scan a roll of film. Mm-hmm. If I had to scan 21 rolls, that would so be a slow. week of work just sitting on the computer. Right. Yeah. So I can't afford that. So the pack-on was a big investment just for the sake of saving time. And it has saved so much time that time-wise, it Worth paid it. itself yeah. <laughs> with my life. Yeah. <laughs> How much are they going for nowadays? Do you, do you guys know? I, I don't know. I purchased it when it was 500 pounds. So... I then I sold it for a thousand, and I purchased it for a thousand two hundred when I was here. So I, it costed me in reality yeah. like six hundred dollars or so. But it's they go for like a thousand and something. I don't know. It's weird. Wow. Yeah, they're they're up there. Any anywhere between like eight eight hundred and twelve hundred, I'd say. If you're if you're looking for one, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> just the just the. The time alone, yeah. <laughs> saving. But, but at the same time, there's like the pack on the F135 and the one the F135 Plus. And I had the 135 when I was in the UK. And the difference is not that big. So if you just want to scan and yeah. put them on the computer, the 135 is fine. And and if you use the... There's two programs. The, uh, the TLX can scan just as well as the 135 Plus. So it's the same resolution. It's the same scanner. It just takes like one more minute. So... One more minute for five hundred dollars less. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Wow. I, I didn't that's realize good to there know. Were yeah. Multiple versions of it. I just it, it's crazy to think now that uh, you know that films in this big like resurgence right now that there's not a company or 
you know, somebody putting something out like that. If there's any like, you know, techies in the film, yeah, that's industry, what we need. Listening. Faster scanner. We, yeah, <laughs> let's get something Bands, updated. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm on the pack and scanner Facebook group. That's basically the only reason why I still have Facebook. And because every, every time I have a doubt, like, <laughs> oh, it's not sharp. Oh, you have to open it. Oh, yeah. Because there's no text for Smart. the pack and scanner. So you have to learn how to remove yeah. the dust, open, resharpen everything. So it's like a really geeky thing. And they were saying the same question. Why is Kodak not launching a new pack-on? Why is like a big company not doing it? And the research, the amount of research and, and cost of making that happen is so astronomical. That probably yeah, will not happen not for a while. Yeah. No. Why is nobody building an X-Pan? It's like Man. the same problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why is no... Yeah, exactly. I mean, I get it. I get it. But... Man, it's just sad. We came into film in the wrong time, Timothy. <laughs> yeah, That's all. I, I know. I know it's easier to put out like blue. We should be shooting in the eighties and nineties and stuff. But it, it would just be so because you know Windows XP. I'm sure there's going to be a part, like a point where that's like completely useless like where you can't even use it at some point it's going to just like stop working or something you know like i still have a computer that i just hang on to that runs xp that i have it's a music making program that i can only use on that program on on an xp and like i'm just so scared because every time i turn it on it takes like 20 minutes to start up you know i might as well like go eat dinner come (laughs) back and then it'll finally be ready to go and it's just like, why isn't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I get it. The money, uh, same yeah. with Polaroid, Wrong same time. with all that stuff, like the peel apart film, like the research and development, like they had so much money because that was the option. And I get it. Like, that's all they mm-hmm. had then. So, I mean, I get it. I just, uh, I mean, everybody's doing scanning with DSLRs yeah. right now and it seems, or mirrorless cameras and stuff. And it seems to be doing pretty well. Yeah. So. At the same time, like the, 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 the <laughs> glimmer of hope of this whole situation is that when the backend scanner was being sold, it was being sold for several thousands. It was extremely expensive. Yeah, it was for yeah, labs. Yeah, so yeah. the backend scanner technically exists nowadays in the shape of the new Hasselblad scanners that scan like 120, mm-hmm. 4 by 5 35 and they're like $12,000. So technically, we do have a backend, wow. yeah. but it's in the same realm of unrealism 12, to yeah. purchase. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Dude, that's so crazy that, yeah. Yeah, because we've had guests before talk about even like cameras systems, like the Hasselblad system, you know, they're like, I can't believe they're selling for seven hundred a thousand dollars, because when I was getting into it, it was like five thousand dollar investment just for the body and like one lens. And, you know, the (laughs) like Grant said, he had a fisheye that was like eight thousand dollars or something crazy like Mm -hmm. that. Like, you know, I get it. I get it. You're right. I, we should just be happy with yeah, what we I mean, have. I was going to say, yeah. And we should be also be happy with the people who have, you know, thank thank God for the Impossible Project, mm. you know. Yeah, th- yeah. Thank God for Doc. Hopefully, you know, we'll we'll get to try that Peel Apart film soon, too, so. Yeah, we're yeah. fine. Agreed. <laughs> uh, just, just, just one tiny asterisk on that, what you were saying. When I, I went to Chile for a visit and my dad was like, oh, you have a Hasselblad? That was my dream. I was thinking about selling my car to get a Hasselblad back in the day. And I was like, yeah, yeah so glad you did <laughs> it. <true. laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. It's crazy. And here we are. We just grab them these days. <laughs> I love it. Speaking of cameras, Ed, here's the second listener interaction question we have mm-hmm. for you. What's your Desert Island camera? Camera you can't live without. If you had to sell everything else, what would you keep? The X-Pen. Oh. oh, good answer. That's such a, that's that's like my dream camera right there. I won't. At one, one so point bad. I thought about selling it when it was like, oh, yeah, really? because I purchased it back in 2011 or so. And the X-Pen has this problem that I 
when I use it, I feel like all the images are going to look horrible because it's hard to use. It's cumbersome. The viewfinder is long. Yeah. yeah. And whenever yeah. I take a picture, it's like, ah, oh, this is going to be such a horrible picture. And I feel like a really bad photographer every time I use the X-Pen. And when I develop <laughs> the film, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. So it has that... Yeah. My wife says it's like getting pregnant. It's like the the process is terrible, but then the outcome <laughs> makes you forget the whole process. Yeah, that's a great analogy. <laughs> so great. I, I thought about selling it because I haven't shot it in a while. And I I, I used to pick it up. It's like, yeah. oh, I hate this format. I don't like it. And my wife said, if you sell that camera, I'll hate you forever. I was like, okay, and I'm going to sell it. I'll keep it. And nowadays... It's You'll like, hate yourself yeah, forever I'm, too. I'm so glad she forced me to keep it because now it's like my favorite camera. You're quick to answer. answer. Yeah, it was a quick answer. I love that. Okay, second part of this question (laughs) is, are you lusting after anything right now? What's your white whale camera? Something you don't have, but you like are dreaming about. Something you don't have, but I dream about. Yeah, there's this. Yes, there is one lens that I lust about because I have a copy of it and it's in bad shape and I still want a good copy. It's a Dalmayer Pentac. <laughs> it's a four by five lens made in London that's like this big. It weighs a ton. Ooh. And it, I have a copy that I purchased from a guy who, who, who knew my channel. He was like, oh, you know, I have this copy. It's not in good working condition, but I love what you do. Maybe you will like it. He sold me for cheap and I love the lens, but it's such a bad condition that I want to have a new one. And every time they mm. come up on eBay, somebody, yeah. like everybody buys them because there's so, yeah. there's oh, so yeah. few of them out there. It's, it's the, it's basically the London version of the Aeroectar. It's, it's, it's almost okay. the same lens, okay. but it's not radioactive. So if you use it, you won't get cancer, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. That's a plus. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So if you don't like cancer, this is a good option. And that's, that's Perfect. one lens yeah. that I would love, love to that. have. I, I think that's our first lens in the yeah. white whale bucket right there. I love there. that. Good job for being outside of the box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always want to know too, one last question. Like what 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 are your like favorite film stocks? What are you like mm, shooting the good most? Question. I, I know that you do a lot of different mm. stuff for the YouTube channel. I know you shot a lot of like the the cinema film when you bought that huge bulk of oh, it. I still have like that. A but ton what's of like it. your to go to <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> My, f- but what like if you if you only had like one film stock to use, what what would that be? It will as be well? Ektachrome sixty four T on one hundred twenty. Oh, man! Or Ektachrome sixty four on one hundred twenty. The 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 version from late nineties until the early two thousands. That's my that's my my favorite stock for like for sure. They had yeah. some blue undertones yeah. that are so nice, and I can't find it on any other slide film. I tried Velvia, huh. and I it, it it's too contrasty. And Ektachrome is just super smooth, so when you scan it, you can fail the exposure by a stop, and it's still working, something that you cannot do with yeah. Velvia. So that's why it's my favorite film stock. I don't Man, shoot I, enough. I, I, like, never shoot slide film. Because it's, cause it's expensive to develop and it's like complicated. Yeah. But since I got the chemicals and I said like, I can do it myself. Like I, what yeah. I usually do yeah. is I stuck up a lot of slide film and I collect them in a, in a can in the freezer and I collect like 12 or 20. And when I have the new chemicals, I just develop all of them at once. There you go. Yeah. That makes sense. That's, that's, that's a really great idea. I have ectochrome in my um, Canon A1 right now. So that's like what I'm working on shooting. Mm. So. Oh, it's beautiful. And that's the first. I, I haven't shot the new stuff yet, so I'm excited. Yeah, I haven't tried the new stuff. I, I've always shot the old Ektachrome because I, I love the old film that is like a, a little bit expired and it has lost a little bit of color, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's like 
Beautiful. I actually have a role. Um, somebody, I did like a little question thing on my Instagram and somebody was like, what's your oldest expired role you have in your fridge? And I was like, I think it's the Ectochrome. I have a role from 1983. <laughs> oh, nice. That I oh, got nice. at, at a, the Pasadena camera show. And I, it's the year I was born. So I'm probably not going to shoot it. I'm just going to like keep it as a souvenir. <laughs> um, but yeah. Man. The only other thing I can add to slide film to why I don't I know I don't shoot it as much is because I think like the highest ISO you can get is around 400 yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that with with Fuji stocks at least. I don't think Kodak does anything. Well, I know Kodak doesn't do anything <laughs> past 100 now. Yeah. So um but yeah, I'm I'm a high ISO even in sunlight. Yeah. Like I love if I can open up all the way where I'm shooting at like 22 f22 or I mean even f32 with the with the Fuji GW. Um, mm-hmm. I love that because I love being forced to have multiple things because uh, depth of field can be a cheat or not a cheat, but an yeah, easy, it can be gimmicky, an easy eye pleaser. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah gimmicky, so I like to exactly. shoot. I like to shoot like that, like where you know you have to really think it out. Not that I'm the best at it, but I like to pretend that that's how. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a know, learning curve. Sophisticated with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, when I started shooting rangefinders a lot, that's what I would always do. I'd always like make sure that I was shooting at sixteen or thirty-two hundred in broad daylight, no filter, have to max <laughs> it out. I'm just trying to be difficult. That's for your myself, style, I though. Guess. Yeah, yeah, it, it works. Cool. But yeah. So you said you're in New York for yeah. seven years, right? Because we're trying to figure out like a New York meetup and all mm-hmm, that stuff too. Mm-hmm. So listeners, be be on the lookout for that. Probably won't be till like fall yeah. if we can pull it off yeah. this year. That's fine. Whenever you want, just let me know. I can't show you much around because I go to Colombia and come back. That's all my New York. My New York is I my know. two years. Hopefully it'll line up for when we're there. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Ed, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I will tell you that you were one of our one of our most requested guests so thank oh, you yeah. for taking the time to chat oh with nice us. thank you so much it. It was, it, it's great fun i had no yeah. idea we just spent an hour that's that's a very good sign thank mm-hmm. you so uh, isn't much. that crazy that happens all the time we have yeah, to like flies. We, yeah it's when we're when you're having fun and being nerdy about film <laughs> photography <laughs> cool all right and so where can everybody check you out what are your socials oh i all my socials are ed pavez so my Twitter, which I barely ever use, and my Instagram, which is the thing that I use the most. And if you search on YouTube, Ed Pavez, I'll be there. Or my past self that has been recorded on a digital media will be there. So that's that's the way to find me. <laughs> awesome. Timothy, what about you? Guys, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Timothy Makeups. I also have a website that I don't update or use or ever do, but there is a bunch of awesome photos that I took on there and links to my YouTube videos. You can just go to timothymakeups.com. And I'm also on YouTube. I shot a kind of POV Ed style video yesterday. So it'll probably be like a month until no. I get that uploaded, if you know me. <laughs> Come <But> on. <laughs> just go to the search bar, search timothy.makeups, you'll find me. Chris, where are you? So I am Crispy Photo on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, we have a Facebook group and a Facebook page for Analog Talk that you can join. And we've got a lot of um, new people in there. So. Thank you, everybody who's been coming to the Facebook group and sharing photos and things like that. Um, Instagram, we are Analog Talk Podcast. And Twitter, we are Analog Talk Pod. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you again, Ed. This was phenomenal. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was really fun. All right. We'll see you guys. Yes. Bye. Bye.
All right. So first off, we want to thank Ed for being on the show. Definitely one of our one of our high requested guests to get on the show. And Chris and I both love your your work and your YouTube videos and all that you do for the community. On behalf of the community, we would like to thank you, Ed. Thanks a lot, man. All right, guys, that's going to bring us to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. If you want to help keep this podcast growing, keep us alive, keep us working, giving us some free time to clear up to, to get more guests on the show, all that fun stuff. We have a bunch of tiers over there, print giveaways, stickers, all kinds of stuff head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. We also have t-shirts and pins and all that stuff. That'll be linked in the description down below. Guys, until next week, thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. Later.